the cross has been, the cross has made you flawless. I uh, just have a couple of announcements this morning. Again, want to remind people, October 1st through 3rd, uh, there will be a series of a few nights where uh, Will Graham will be sharing some gospel messages and there's a variety of musical artists that will be joining him. Just there are some flyers like this out front. Please grab them if you're interested and if you know anyone that you would like to invite. Just a couple of housekeeping things. I know in a couple weeks there's going to be a work morning here at Creekside, so take a look at that. And just want to remind everyone that our Wednesday night ministries are up, going. Uh, we have Awana for, for children, and then we have uh, middle school and high school that are meeting at the same time. So just want to welcome uh, those of you that are, that are coming that night. We also have a meal that we have uh, available uh, for anyone that wants to come join at 530. So uh, with that, I'm going to have Steve come up and just uh, intro a couple things. Yeah, one of the things uh, elders are liking, wanting to do is trying to give you all a feel for some of the things that are going on, ministries that are happening. And last week we had Bob come up and he shared about Freedom for Youth and ways that we're trying to impact the community and be a part of it as individuals and as a church body, get in support of it. And so we have a few announcements that have been taped video-wise, and so we're going to run one of those this morning, highlighting a ministry that uh, one, of the, one of the gals in our church has been really active and involved in with uh, refugees, and so I hope you can just sit back and listen and hear uh, what Katie has to say about some of the things that are going on with the ministry to the refugees in the Des Moines area. My name is Katie Markward, and I serve the Chin refugee community who reside primarily here in Urbandale. The Chin people are an ethnic minority group from Myanmar, also known as Burma. Uh, Burma is actually one of the top countries that the U.S. receives the most refugees from each year. You might be familiar with some of the other people groups in the Des Moines area that come from Burma, such as the Karin, the Karini, or the Kachin. Um, the ministry that I do is very much a practical helps ministry that you can do um, very little with, or you can dive in and fully immerse yourself. Some of the things that I have done that require a small amount of time commitment include things like helping people with their mail, making appointments, helping them just with little things within the community like, oh, you missed trash day, this is who we call and this is how we handle that. Other activities take more of a time commitment. For example, things that I've done or partnered in include ESL classes, homework help for kids in kindergarten through fifth grade, helping people study for their citizenship tests and then accompanying them on the day of that test and just helping them throughout that process. And also regularly visiting families, not only so that they can practice their English in an environment that they're comfortable with, but also just to grow our friendships and get us better acquainted with one another. So a couple of rare requests I have for the Chin community and just the ministry in general would be, there's been a huge upheaval in their home country in the past couple of months when the military took over the country by force and now hundreds have been murdered. I think it's close to a thousand. And so with lack of communication and the military shutting off communication and technology to the country and internet access, there's a lot of people with family still in Burma and they're just genuinely scared for their family and fearful. So prayers for peace over there and safety and just comfort for the family members that are here. And the other would be for the parents and the spiritual leaders and the pastors within the Chin community, pray that they would continue to point their children toward Christ and that they wouldn't be swayed by the culture. It's very difficult for the parents as their children navigate the American public school system and a lot of the information that is presented as truth there, their parents are not familiar with at all. And so it's an interesting dynamic as they try to combat that information and continue to point their kids toward Christ. I have seen God work in so many big and small ways throughout my time that I've been involved from spiritual growth and fruit within the community and watching these children profess a faith and teenagers profess a faith and be baptized and strengthen their walk with Christ to physical needs being met and being met in a big way. And just even in the tiny little details of providing comfort or 
crossing our paths and helping us connect different families with certain resources that they desperately needed. If you're interested in getting involved or knowing more, um, I would love to talk to you. I'm happy to get you plugged in or get you connected. I can connect you with Embark and we can talk about all sorts of possibilities of what you can do within the local refugee community. Thanks, thanks Katie. Uh, again, that's just one aspect of it. We, there are other refugee communities, uh, groups of people within the, within the Des Moines area, so uh, Katie's just working particularly with uh, that group of people. So if you have more interest, you can take the bulletin, you can contact Megan, and she can get you Katie's contact information if you need that as well. At this time, I'd like to ask our, our, our Haiti team to come forward. Uh, we have a group of people that are going to be leaving this Wednesday. Come on, make your way up here. I'm going to uh, pray for them and have, uh, if you're one of our elders, I'm going to ask you to come up at this time. Uh, we're going to pray and commission this team uh, to, to Haiti. Uh, they're going to be leaving on Wednesday, and they'll be down in Haiti some a week, some two weeks. Uh, doing ministry there, and we're excited uh, to send them out and to pray for them and to ask God's work in their lives. I think of Isaiah 52, 7, where uh, Isaiah said, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness, saying, Our God reigns. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to pray for this group. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask... Uh, Pastor Mark, would you, would you mind praying? Okay, I'm going to ask Mark to pray, and uh, we'll just lay hands on them and send them out as part of our, our team headed to Haiti. Lord, we thank you that you are at work all around the world. We think of the Chen and people in, in Burma, Myanmar, who are suffering. Uh, we just ask that you would help them to stay true and strong in their faith and to help those raising their children here in America to continue to point their children to Christ and that you would open up doors of opportunity for us to continue to be a part of that ministry to them. And Lord, now our prayers and thoughts are with our brothers and sisters here this morning going to Haiti this week. And we thank you for all the time and prayer and preparation they've put into it. And Lord, we just ask that you would go before them and be with them and bless them and anoint this ministry time with the people of Haiti. And that you would do a work in our team's lives but also use them to be a great blessing and influence and encouragement to the work going down on in Haiti even now. And we thank you for our new ministry partner, Judah Guzman. May there be an opportunity, Lord, for us to um, strengthen our friendship and relationship with him. Please bless his ministry among all the children there. And Lord, we just pray that the Church of Christ will be built up in Haiti, a nation of poverty, a nation who is struggling, and that you would be working there mightily to save men and women, boys and girls, bringing them out of the darkness into the kingdom of light. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good morning. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, uh, the title of today's message is What to Wear to a Wedding. And I uh, was... Had to drive through a fast food place about uh, probably a month or two ago, and in it I was wearing this, and and the lady at the ca uh, at the counter says, "Are you on your way to a wedding?" I said, uh, well, "It's a Tuesday. I'm not, but um, I appreciate it." So I thought I would dress as if I was on my way to a wedding today, since that's what we are talking about. What to wear to a wedding? So Matthew chapter 22. Verses 1 through 14, here's what it says. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I inv invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. 
and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Let's pray. God, we, we, uh, we want to look at this story. And God, we, uh, uh, there's a lot in here. Um, God, there's a lot in here about you calling us. There's a lot in here about who you call. And there's a lot in here about answering the call. And God, ultimately, there's a lot in here about your son, Jesus, and the need for him and the need for your mercy. Uh, God, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Uh, It's in your son's name. Amen. I was talking to my wife last night, and uh, we had quite a different experience of school. Um, I was in it more just for the social aspect. Uh, I liked hanging out with people and, you know, having fun and things like that. My grades reflected that at times. Uh, Right, Mom? Yes, thank you. My wife, however, in high school and college combined, only had one B, and she reminded me last night it was actually a B plus. Uh, (laughs) Everything else was an A, so for eight years... Between high school and college, she had every, all A's except for one B+. I would venture to say that was probably more on the professor at that point uh, than her. Would you? True, maybe. Yeah. My wife would also tell you, Now, my wife is, you know, she's brilliant, she's smart, but she would also tell you she had to work really hard to obtain those grades. And she told me a story last night, staying up till 6 in the morning for one particular test at the uh, end of a semester. Because she worked really hard to achieve that, right? And so as you think about our society, you think about our mindset, you think about how we're, we're, how we're wired, we're, we're wired by merits, right? That if you do the work, you reap the reward, right? We see that in school. We see it, my, my youngest this week, we tried to convince her to do something. We said, if you do this for two, two days in a row, Friday night you can have two scoops of ice cream. And guess what she did? She did it. Two days in a row, she got her two scoops, ate about half a scoop. But she got the reward, right? And we're wired like that, like per merit. Do the work, get the reward. Same thing at work, right? You do the work, you get the reward. In fact, if you're maybe good at your work, you might get a promotion. It's merit. It's merit-based. And we're trained like that. We're kind of wired like that, that if If we do things well, a good result will happen. And on the other end of the spectrum, maybe if we don't do things well, the opposite may happen. And so the mindset for most people is like, hey, if I do good things, then there's going to be some sort of reward for me. And the mindset of most people is the same way when talking about the kingdom of heaven. How do I get to heaven? Well, if I can do good things, if I can do enough then maybe I can make it. There was a Gallup poll, and they were asked the question, you know, okay, at the end of your life, do you think you'd make it to heaven? Or what would it take to make it to heaven? And 40-some percent said, you know, if I just was able to do more good, more for other people, more things, because that's how most people are wired, like, hey, if we do good, there will be reward. And so the way the world looks at it is like, do good works, do merits, and reap the reward. I think what we see in this story is probably quite the opposite, although there's some puzzling pieces you look, even reading that that little uh, story in there about the guy who wasn't dressed for the wedding, thrown out, right? It doesn't really make sense with the rest of the story. But what we're going to see in this story today is one, we're going to see a call, that mercy is a call. And the second thing we're going to see is that mercy is for all. Mercy is a call, and mercy is for all. So let's look at this story. Let's go back to verse 1. 
Jesus spoke to them again in parables. Jesus spoke to them again in parables. Well, who's he talking about? Right? It just kind of starts out. To find out who he's talking about, you have to go back a chapter and a little bit into the chapter to see his conversation here and who he's talking to is for the religious leaders, for the chief priests and the scribes. So we need to understand his audience first. And his audience is a group of people that believe what? They, they believe in this merit-based system. They believe that if they do good and they do what God has intended, then yeah, there will be a place prepared for them. And so their mindset and their heart is all about, hey, do good works, do good things. In fact, you know, they would have prayer shawls on, and if your prayer shawl was long enough, and man, you were more religious, or if your, your prayer was said in such a way, or whatever it might be, if you did these things, there was reward. And so the audience Jesus is talking to is a group of people who believed in a merit system. Do good, reap the reward. And so that's the audience as he's talking. So Jesus spoke to them and get parables and sayings. He says, okay, I know my audience. And that kind of reminds me of a story. So let me tell you a story. And Jesus, the ultimate storyteller, tells them a story to kind of show what it is really like. That it is a, not a merit-based system, but it's based on the mercy of God. Not on merits, but on mercy. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. So here's what happened, the, the, this great banquet. The king has prepared this great banquet. Now, in those days, if you were going to prepare a great banquet, it would take some time, right? I kind of think of maybe a Thanksgiving feast. We're hosting Thanksgiving for the first time, and my wife hasn't asked me to do anything yet, and hopefully does not. I remind her of my grades and hers, and she'll be able to get things done better than I will. But uh, one thing that we, we do is we, we're preparing well in advance for this, Right? Like, we've invited family, and they're finding places to stay because they're not staying at our house. But and they're finding, we're preparing months in advance for this great feast that we're going to have. And her, uh, her cousins and her, her dad's brother and her dad's sister and all these people are coming to our house for this great feast. Well, in these days, this is what it was like. You to have a great feast and great banquet would take weeks to prepare. Well, what they would also do is they would go out and they would invite the guest weeks, months, whatever, in advance of this feast. And so that's what's taking place, is the king's servants have gone out. They've invited. They let you know there's this great feast that is, is coming. Uh, we want you to be prepared for that. So these guests at one point have said, okay, we're coming. There's a feast prepared. We're going to come to the king's feast, to the king's banquet. So when the king sends his servants out, to those who had already been invited, right? That's what tells us right there. These guys have already been invited. It's not they're hearing this news for the first time. The servants come and say, okay, you know that feast that you heard about? Well, now it's ready. Now it's time to come. So they tell them it's, it is now time to come, and their response is, but they refused to come. They refused to come. These are people that had already said yes, right? Their people already said they were going to come to this banquet, but in the end, they didn't come. And the messengers were simply telling it was time to come. He continues on, then he sent more servants and said, tell those who have been invited, right, they have already been invited, that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. So who's he talking to here? Well, this story is meant for the religious leaders, right? They're meant for people who maybe have understood or, or have at least heard the message. They have been called, and yet they don't answer the call. And I think there's probably something in here for us as well. When you think about people who have heard, right, those who have maybe grown up in the church, those who have been baptized, those who have taken part of communion, those who have said a prayer, I want to follow you. They've been invited, 
But when the call comes to come, they don't come. People who have heard yet don't answer when asked, hey, it's, it's time to come. They don't answer the call. And so I think it's a question for us because I, I think it applies to us, as, you know, especially those that have been in the church a while, have made decisions throughout their life, have maybe been baptized, taken communion, said that prayer, think of the last time, you know, God, help me with this. God, deliver me from this. We've had prayers like that. And now the question is, when he calls, do we answer? And what, what does it mean to answer the call? You look at this great feast that is being prepared, I think it's a picture. God is calling to come to the banquet feast of his son. See, the call to come is not a, a call to do more. And as we think about the great mercy of God, it's not about, hey, I got to do more. I got I to gotta read more. I got I to gotta serve more. I got to tell more people about Jesus, all things we should definitely do. But that's, that's not the call. The call is to understand who he is and accept who he is and partake in who he is. For me, it's, uh, I, I live in this mindset, and I, it comes back to merit, right? I mean, that's, that's, our, that's kind of our, our heart, right? That we're always like, man, I got to do more, and maybe I got to spend more time reading. I, I was, at the beginning of the year, I'm, I, just, I decided, okay, I want to listen. Every time I go to work out, I'm going to listen listen to the Bible, so I make sure I, I listen to the whole Bible through a year. And it's almost like it becomes a checklist. So I work out, read it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did it today. And I missed the point, right? And you missed the point. Like, the point isn't more that, okay, let's, let's read the Bible, let's get through the Bible. The point isn't, let's, hey, let's spend some time in prayer. But the point is to understand and dwell on who he is, to enjoy this, this feast, this banquet, to understand his mercy to understand his mercy is not to say, I need to do more, but understand he's done it for me already. And to dwell in that and think on that and just love this incredible thing that he has done already for me. You're looking back in here in verse 5 and it says, they paid no attention and went off. Right? They had already been invited. They were going to come. But then when the invite comes, when the calling comes, they pay no attention. And they don't come. And Why? Well, here's the reason why. One to his field and another to his business. And what had happened was when they received the call to come, what did they do? They looked at what they had and made a decision it wasn't as good as what they were invited to. Like these were people who were well off, right? Remember he's talking to the religious leaders. He's, uh, he's, he's talking to the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, and people who thought they had it all together, Right? who thought they had what they needed. And so this story, these, these people that come to call, is like, well, I'm pretty well off, right? I've got my own field. I've got my own business. And so when they weighed the option of what I currently have or what was being offered at this great banquet, this great feast, they said, eh, you know what, I'm okay. I find myself in that same position so many times. I'm sure many of you do. Like when we weigh it, well, you know what? Oh, life's pretty good. Life's pretty easy. Kind of like what I've got. And so when Jesus comes and Jesus calls and tells us to come, we weigh the option. And much like these guys, many times they're like, you know what? It's, I got it pretty good. You know, things are pretty good. I like where I'm at. They saw what was offered and made the decision. It wasn't good as what they already had. Underneath the surface, I think we see a little more, though, right? We see the surface of, of more than just like a rejection. We almost see a hostility. Not almost. We do see a hostility. Listen to what, what happens in verse 6. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. So there's this hostility. Not only is there rejection, there's a hostility against it. And the king's response to that, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. The king's response is as a response you would expect, right? The king's response was as if anybody was attacked. You think of a U.S. embassy in a foreign country. If our U.S. embassy was attacked, well, that's an act of war, right? 
And we would probably respond to that. And so the king does exactly that. The king responds to this hostility against his servants. They're attacked, and he responds. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. See, you can be a person on the outside who has answered the call. You think of the Pharisees. You think of the religious leader in the world. When they looked at him, they said, these guys got it. This is the ticket. This is how you're supposed to be. This is what religion looks like. This is what a follower of God looks like. See, on the outside, they had, they had it. It looked like they answered the call. Us, maybe we're the same way. Maybe we said a prayer. Maybe we've been baptized and we've done maybe something that was formal. But on the inside, there's no feasting. There's no delighting. And there's really no answer to this call that Jesus has made for us to come. And really that indifference to Jesus, that indifference to the call, is a hostility. And what we're really saying is that nobody can tell me how to run my life. Right? When we look at what these people did and they said, okay, I got my business, I got my field, I've got, all the, I've got everything I need, and we're called to this great feast, well, when we reject it, we're really saying, you know what, I got my life together. I've got everything I need. I don't need what Jesus has to offer because I already have it. I already have everything I need. And there's, there's this hostility under the surface because we think we have it all. We think we've got it together. Uh, there's something I want to see as we, we begin to transition to this second uh, part of the story I want us to notice that anybody who comes to the feast, those that accept or those that reject, they come because they are called. You can see uh, from this story that there's nobody that shows up that wasn't called. Nobody shows up who wasn't called. I think in our, our, uh, our world today, a lot of people are having religious experiences, right? And there's a lot to say about religion. There's a lot to say about God. But I, I, I think one way to know if your religious experience is an authentic Christian experience, right? Not just some religious experience, but a true, authentic Christian experience, is that anybody who has experienced the mercy of God and answered the call of Jesus knows it wasn't their idea. Anybody who under, has decided for Christ understands this. You understand that you have been called, that you have the mercy of God in your life, that he has chosen you and he has called you. Right? Anybody that has truly had an authentic religious experience, Christian experience, understands that God called you. Right? We think of our past, we think of what we've done, we think of what we were called from, and we can't help know that God has saved us and that God has called us. And from this story, we see it. Like anybody who either rejected or came was called. Nobody showed up that wasn't first called by the king. So the first point is that we want to know that we have the mercy of God in our life, that he has chosen us and he's been calling us. This text tells us that some people have been called to him, some people who are called don't come to him, but nobody comes to him without being called. And some of us still might be trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. Maybe you're feeling a tug or a call, and you're unsure what to do. And so my encouragement to you is when you begin to feel that call of Jesus, is that you answer. We have no idea how long this feast is going to take place, right? Like right now, the king is throwing a feast, and he's calling to come to that feast, partake in that feast, enjoy that feast. But we don't know what it's going to be. A month from now, a year from now. And it's so easy to look, look down the road and say, okay, yeah, I'll follow. I'll come to the feast, but, you know, let me do this first. L let me take care of this. Then I'll partake in the feast. 
All we know is now. And I challenge you, like, if God is calling you to this great and infinite feast to answer the call. And it's interesting looking at the disciples because I think no matter where we are in our walk with Jesus and our pursuit of the kingdom of God, like, he's always calling us to more, isn't he? You look at the disciples, and it began with just, hey, come and, come and see what's going on. Come and see. And then there was a call to come and follow, right? And there was a call to leave everything behind. And then there was a call to give up your life. And many of them physically did it. And so this call of Jesus continues. It's like it continues to a deeper and deeper relationship with him. And if you feel the call, and he's calling you to partake in this infinite feast, Man, I encourage you to, to consider that call, to listen, because there's no guarantee that feast will be taking place a week from now, a month from now. When he calls, we need an answer. Don't wait. He's throwing the banquet now. If he's calling you, don't wait. The second thing that I want us to see here is that there is a, that mercy is a call, but also that mercy is for all. Look in verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, for those I invited did not deserve to come. Right? So he goes out, he invites these people. And remember, these are people, if you look at world standards, they deserve to be at a royal banquet, right? In the eyes of the world, here's people who've got it together. They own their businesses, they're rich, they have money, whatever. They have all these things. And so from the world standards, that like if this is a royal wedding, it's a royal banquet, they should be there. But they rejected it. The wedding banquet is ready. Those I invited did not deserve to come. They did not answer the call. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone, anyone you would find. So what this looks like, it looks like the standards of the king have changed, right? Like the standards of the king maybe at one point was like, let's get all the, the, the people that have it together. The people that own their business, that own a field, the people that have it all going on, let's invite them first. And now it's like, okay, they rejected. Well, let's just find anybody we can, right? And so it looks like the king's standards have changed. The first group of people that were invited seemed to be well off. They were religious, those that seemed to be going places. They were landowners, the kind of people you'd invite to a royal wedding. And now he says to his uh, servants, let's change our strategy, and he tells him in verse 9, let's go to the street corners. And it's, it's kind of an awkward translation because it's, well, it's kind of an awkward statement. Go to the street corners and invite people. Well, what he's really saying here is the word literally translate the way that the ways cross. So I read several commentators on this and pretty much all were in agreement that this would be a place where like the main thoroughfare was. Right? And so there would be a road that maybe starts out in the country somewhere, and that road comes into town. And as it comes into town, then once it re comes into the city, then it begins to split off onto these other different streets and roads that go to other places within the city. And so what he's saying is go to the place, the main thoroughfare, right, where it comes into the city, and then when it comes into the city, it goes that, go there, where all those roads. And that would usually be a, a public place where people would gather, It'd be a public square, and on there you would find everybody, right? You would find the rich, the poor, people from ev every ethnicity. That's where everyone was. He even says in there you would find the good and the bad. So you have all kinds of people, the rich, the poor, every ethnic background. You have good people and bad people. And the king, throwing this great feast, he tells his servants, all right, go to that corner, and invite everybody. So before, he kind of just invited this group, but now it is open to everybody. So instead of bringing in just the highest society, he brings in everyone. Not only diverse in social and race, but it's also diverse, in, uh, diverse morally as well. 
And it's one of the greatest places in the Bible that we see, because this is the king who is God, invites uh, to the wedding feast of his son, Jesus Christ, both good people and bad people to partake in the feast. So it looks like altogether he's gotten rid of his standards. And at one point, it looked like, man, if you had wealth and importance, you'd come. But now, it appears that anyone can come. That the great king has invited not just the people that have it together, but anyone. The good and the bad. And I I think... uh, I was looking a story about Abraham Lincoln, and the story about Abraham Lincoln was here was a guy who understood, and the comparison was Abraham Lincoln and Hitler. You had two individuals. You have Abraham Lincoln considered, at least in you know terms of uh, moral men, like oh, he was a great man, right? Accomplished many great things. Yet you read what he wrote and what he said, and you know what? He understood his flaws. He understood his shortcomings. He understood. He didn't have it all together. And then you have someone on the other side, like Hitler, who, who didn't understand that, right? Who thought he had it all together. And you look at the mindset of someone who, like Abraham Lincoln, like, well, in the world's eyes, like, man, that's a guy I want to be like, but yet knew he was missing something, knew he didn't measure up. So even a, a good man realizing, no, I have shortcomings. I'm missing something. And so we have this diverse group of people that come, some people who are good, like the world standards, look at them like, that's a good person. And then you have other people that come and like, well, they're morally corrupt, yet they've been invited to come in, to sit at the king's table, to partake in the feast. So he's gotten rid of the standards. And so it looks like everyone can come in, but yet then we've got this this little appendix in the story. This little story of what we should be wearing at a wedding. So everyone has been in. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. So the servants go out and they invite everyone, everyone they could find from every walk of life to this great wedding feast. So everyone comes in, and the place is full, and the king comes in. But when the king came in to see his guest, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. Well, why was he speechless? I think there's a key in that. Why is he speechless? Why doesn't he have a word to say? Now, it seems odd, doesn't he? Well, I mean... Can't we just come as we are to Jesus? Right? I think there's, there's songs about that. Come as you are, right? Come as you are. And yet this man is thrown out. And he's speechless. Well, why is he speechless? Well, there's probably only two reasons you're not going to show up to a wedding. Now, you ever been to a wedding? You're going to know that most of the time people dress up for a wedding. That's why somebody asked me if I was going to a wedding. People tend to dress up. You're honoring the guest. And if anybody's paid for a wedding in here, I someday may have to do that. I heard my dad laughing, right? Well, I mean, it's, it's not a, I mean, it's an expensive thing to pay for a wedding, isn't it? And so what you're doing is you're, you're honoring your guests that are, or you're honoring the, the, the one that has invited you, right? And so people get dressed up. They show up at a wedding looking good, wearing your best threads, right? I mean, that's what we do when we go to a wedding. Now, usually there's only two reasons why people don't show up wearing nice things. One, they can't afford it. That's a real thing, right? They can't afford to, to wear the nice things. Two, maybe they didn't have time to get it. And so you go back to the beginning of the story. In the beginning of the story, Jesus gave the, that group a, a heads up, right? Hey, here in a month or so, or the, the, the king gave them a heads up through his servants. Hey, we're going to have this great feast. You're going to invited to it. They all knew they were going to go to it. So there was plenty of time to prepare. So those people, you would think they would show up because one, they have the means. Two, they had the time to do it. Well, this other group, the servants go out, they go to the streets, and what do they say? Come to this great wedding feast. Well, what did they not do? They didn't go home and go get their things. No, they went straight to the feast. Yet there's only one individual at the feast who is not wearing the proper attire. So what we know to be true then is that the king clothed the guest. That when you showed up, the king 
gave you the proper clothing to be at this feast. Because many of these people didn't have the means or didn't, and none of them had the time to go get the proper wedding attire. They were invited, they went, they showed up, and everyone had on wedding clothes but this one individual, which means the king provided the, that clothing for them, right? They show up, and the king is the one that clothes them. But one man, one man chose not to wear wedding clothes. This man thought it'd be, he could go right into the king and that his everyday wear was fine. And when the king asked him why he doesn't have wedding attire on, that speechlessness tells it all. And so we see this man who's thrown out and we hear the story and we think about, okay, if all are invited, why is this man thrown out? If we can come as we are, why is this man not let in? We're thrown out, weeping. Listen, listen to the story as it continues. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. It looks like Jesus is coming along saying, come as you are, but then this story throws a wrench into all that. If it's earned, how can the good and the bad be there, right? If it's earned, like the religious leaders thought, then how can the good and the bad show up? They can't. They can't. If it's earned, if it's based on merit, then they can't all show up. On the other hand, if anybody can come and it's not earned, that then what's the deal with this guy? If it's free, how can this guy not get in? I think what Jesus is saying here is I can take anyone, but you can't come just as you are. You can show up as you are, but you can't continue as you are. Anyone, so he let anyone in, but he would clothe them at the door. And he would clothe them at whose expense? The king's expense. The king's expense. Like their record, their background, their ethnicity, anything they've done, if they were good, they were bad, none of that mattered. They could show up to the feast. All they had to do was be clothed by the king. You can come into the feast of Jesus not by being fit, not by being good, but admitting that you are not fit, admitting you are not good. It's like that story of Abraham Lincoln, right? Looked like a good man, but he knew his faults. He understood his shortcomings. So we can come to the king not having it all together as long as we understand we don't have it all together. As long as we understand we need to be clothed by him. And the world hates this idea that God can't accept anyone, right? I I think of uh, Rob Bell's book, and he says, love wins. That anybody, anybody, no matter what, Jesus loves you, and there's a place in heaven for you, which is true if you've been clothed by the king. The problem is you can't accept a God that rejects people you are going to the feast without a wedding garment. And there is hope for this world If we have a God, and what hope is there for this world if we have a God that accepts you just the way you are without change, right? I mean, if you look at the world, I think of what's going on in Afghanistan right now, and you see the pictures and you hear the stories, people handing their kids off to to strangers because they don't want them to stay because of everything that's taken place. And you see all that evil that's happening in the world, and you know, how can God not judge that evil, right? If he is a right and just God, then he has to, because we know that's not the way the world should be. Yet God will invite people that have made mistakes, the worst kind of sinners. He will invite people if they change. Not just change behaviorally, but they're covered, they're clothed in Jesus. Anyone is invited. We don't earn our place. And uh, the king tells us, 
in this story, like, either you will pay or my son will pay. And this is the story, isn't it? This is the story of the gospel. Either we have to pay or the son pays. If you go to God just the way you are, you will be thrown into darkness just like this man in the story. But if Jesus clothes you before God, you get to partake in this feast, this great banquet, right? Because it's not by what I can do. It's not by my accomplishment. It's being clothed by Jesus alone. And when I'm clothed by Jesus, when I put my hope and my faith and my trust and when I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, then, then I can come before God. Then God sees me as someone who belongs at the banquet. The first people said, I always knew I would make it if I really tried. If I really tried, if I really put my heart into it, I, you know, I, I can make it. I always knew I would get invited to a king's feast. So they didn't come because they thought they had made it. They sought their works. They thought their works were merited, merited the invite. They'd done good works. They'd done good things. The second group, well, they actually showed up. <laughs> and there's, they were eating in the street at the beginning of the store, story. And by the end of the story... They're in the banquet. They're in the king's palace. They're at his table, eating and feasting. And this is an amazement that we should experience. Like we get to eat from the king's table, from his banquet. If we believe what Jesus has done for us, we should be amazed at the idea of his mercy. Like it's not on merit. It's not on anything I could do. It's based solely on Jesus, Jesus alone. And the point is that salvation is free to us, but it is not free to God. We are lost, we are wicked, and we should be thrown into that outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, unless we're clothed by Jesus. That is the answer. Uh, I was reading... Uh, this as I was studying, and, and Charles Spurgeon had talked about this, and just kind of paraphrasing what Charles Spurgeon had said. He says, you, you always want beggars at your feast. You see, the privilege expect the meal, right? They're used to the meal. They expect it. But the beggars, they cheer for every dish. They show up at the feast and like, oh, man, there's the appetizer, no, there's the turkey, there's the mashed potatoes, there's the, the stuffing, there's the pumpkin pie, whatever. They cheer at every dish because they're amazed at this feast they've been given. I don't want to be like the beggars, right? That everything that God has given, that I cheer at it, that I'm in amazement and awe at his mercy, that I could partake at this banquet, that I could be at his table. What this passage is saying is that if there is no feasting in your life, if there is no astonishment, if there is no cheering for every dish, it's not that your sins keep you from God, but you thinking your good works are good enough. They're not, are they? <laughs> We're thankful for his mercy. If you look at your badness, and see how unfit you are, you realize what Jesus Christ has done for you. And then like those beggars, you cheer. You cheer. Then it's like that feast when you are amazed at everything you are brought. Christianity is not good advice. It's good news. And when we realize it's not by merit, it's by mercy, we can celebrate this incredible feast. We're going to take communion uh, here in a minute, and we want to ponder this. And we don't want to sit and ponder about all the things we need to do. We want to sit and ponder all that has already been done for us. Taste and see that the Lord is good and not just know it. See what God has done and not just read about it. That we would experience 
this ultimate feast, that we'd sit at the table, that we'd be at the banquet, and we'd be like those beggars cheering on every dish in awe of all that he's done. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for Jesus. God, thank you that we have been invited. We have been called to your banquet. God, we have been called to know Jesus. God, if we are here today and we've not been clothed in Jesus, God, as you call us now, may we respond. May we answer that call. May we understand our need to be forgiven. May we understand our need for our badness to be forgiven. God, may we understand that good deeds are not enough, but it is only through Jesus that we can partake. It's only through Jesus that we have a place prepared for us. It's only through Jesus we are forgiven. It's only through Jesus we can stand before the King. So we thank you for Jesus. We want to remember that this wasn't free. It was a great price was paid. Jesus, his body and his blood, his life given up, his blood shed, that we've been clothed because of that. So God, may we, may we dwell on that this morning. May we think about your great mercy this morning. And that is a calling for us. We pray it and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now